good morning. Glad to see everybody. Hope you guys are glad to be at church today. Again, thank you for, for checking us out. If you're new, again, welcome. My name is Brian. I'm the pastor. And at Pathway, we want to help you know God, find family, and make a difference. That's what we're all about. And so um, that video, as we just showed, was when our, as a church, we turned two years old. A lot of you were here for that. And that was really exciting. And a few weeks ago, we turned five years old. And so we're really excited about that. Yep. And just excited about what God has for us and just encourage you to really be praying as a church. I mean, I believe God answers, you know, just like my prayers. But I think if we all pray, um, God will really move. And uh, just for we really are praying and believing that by the end of this year, 2022, that we're going to have a building uh, or land of our own as a church. All right. So. We are believing that. We're getting closer. And so I just encourage you to be praying about that. We're getting very close. So just keep praying. And again, thank you for being here. We just wrapped up a series last Sunday uh, called FOMO. If you don't know, FOMO means fear of missing out. We started that series. We talked about the fear of missing out. And we said, are you struggling to keep up in life? And we said, maybe you're struggling to keep up because you're using the wrong scorecard in life. And are you following the scorecard of what culture says, or the scorecard of what God wants for your life, and we said that God's way is always better than the way of culture. We're nothing necessarily bad about culture, but God's way is always better. We looked at three big areas of our lives. We looked at marriage, and we, we looked at parenting. We, we looked at work-life balance, and uh, I just, today, if anything, would just kind of be bonus content, right? I don't know if you like bonus content on a, on a podcast or, or an episode of your favorite show show that you've binge-watched, but uh, today would be kind of bonus content. It would, it would, in a way, wrap up everything else that we talked about over the last couple weeks, and if you weren't here, that's okay, because today we're going to kind of cover all of it anyway. We're really excited about this, and, and so, to be honest, we're just really going to dive right in, and you say, man, Brian, how do I prevent the FOMO in my life? How do I prevent that struggling to keep up in my life, that struggling to compare myself, the struggle of the scorecard, and I think today would really answer that very clearly. Um, it could be kind of a, an independent message as well. And if you want to turn, the Bible has New and Old Testament, and we're going to look at one of the most famous people in the entire Bible. We actually sang about him a little bit earlier, a guy named David. This is the same David. Even if you don't know anything about the Bible, there's a really good chance you've heard about David and Goliath. And even maybe yesterday watching college football, this is a real David and Goliath story, Bob. Yeah, it is, Tom. I don't know. But, but you hear those stories, right? And so that was a real event that actually happened, and it's recorded in the Bible of this teenage boy that went up against an almost 10-foot-tall giant and through God's help killed him. And it was an amazing story. And what we're going to look at is later on in his life. He's probably in his late 20s at this time, between 25 and 30 years old. He has been chosen by God to be the king of the nation of Israel. The only problem is Israel already has a king, but that king has lost his mind. He's truly crazy. And so what David is doing is kind of running away from this king. His name was Saul. Saul was chasing him all over Israel. David settles in kind of a border town between Israel and their arch enemy, the Philistines. And he's kind of in no man's land there with about 600 guys who, from the military who defected from following Saul to following 
David, and it is recorded in the Old Testament. The Bible has New and Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, there's a one-volume, one-set book. It's called Samuel, but they've made it into two volumes. It was so big, they just divided it made it into two volumes. It's called Samuel because he is the beginning of one of the main figures. He was a prophet. In other words, he spoke on behalf of God to the nation and on behalf of the nation to God. And he was the spiritual leader of the nation. So he's kind of a central figure. But then later it focuses on the life of David. And you want to check this out. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, says this. Three days later, when David and his men arrived home at their town of Ziglag, they found that the Amalekites had made a raid into the Negev and Ziglag. They had crushed Ziglag and burned it to the ground. They had carried off the women and children and everyone else without killing anyone. When David and his men saw that the ruins, saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, verse 4, they wept until they could weep no more. David's two wives, Ananoam from Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal from Carmel, were among those captured. David was now in great danger, look at this, because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters, and they began to talk of stoning him or killing him. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Then he said to Abthar the priest, bring me the ephod. So Abthar brought it. Then David asked the Lord, should I chase after these band of raiders? Will I catch them? And the Lord told him, yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. Now we would skip down to verse 16 for time. So he led David to them, and they found the Amalekites spread out across the fields, eating and drinking and dancing with joy because of the vast amount of plunder they had taken from the Philistines and the land of Judah. David and his men rushed in among them and slaughtered them throughout that night and the entire next day until evening. None of the Amalekites escaped except 400 young men who fled on camels. Look at verse 18. David got back everything the Amalekites had taken, and he rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, small or great, son or daughter, nothing nor anything else that had been taken. David brought back everything. What's really interesting is we always say whenever we read the Bible, we want to take a step back and whether it's one sentence or a whole chapter and just ask the big question of what's really going on here? What's the main thought? What's the main idea? For me, it would be simply this. As I look at those verses, it just to summarize all of it, and this is the whole message today right here. So after I say this, you can leave. Please don't, but you could, right? And it's simply this, prayer or despair. Notice the marketed difference between the reaction of David and the rest of the 600 men. I mean, look at it again in verse 6. David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters. And they began to talk of stoning him or killing him, period. Next sentence. But David found strength in the Lord his God. What's remarkable and what we're trying to see, what I think they're trying to show us and tell us what God wants you and I to know is that David strengthened himself in God while they strengthened themselves with stones. Notice they both strengthened themselves. One was with God. The other was with an inanimate object of a stone or a rock. 
the question for you and I is, when life really goes wrong, I mean, when things really hit the fan and mess up in your life and, and you're struggling to keep up and you're comparing yourself, the, the, the question is, when it's a code red crisis in your life, what do you strengthen yourself with? Because the men, they both face the same crisis, right? It's not like David was like, well, I got my wives and my kids and everything's good with me and I just, I feel bad for you guys. Here's a sympathy card from Hallmark. No, David lost his wives as well. All of his stuff, all of his property was stolen or burned to the ground just like them. But notice the reaction is radically different between the two. David strengthens himself with God, but they strengthen themselves with anger and despair. When problems come your way, do you strengthen yourself in anger or emotions and despair or the what ifs and here's my plan B and here's what I can do and, and here's what I'm going to work out? Or do you just get alone with God when all the chaos and all 600 men are trying to tell you what to do and how to do it and all the things that you're supposed to do and everybody's telling you to do, but you get away and get alone with God and strengthen yourself in him. That's what David is doing. It's, it's amazing to me that instead of looking for someone to rescue them, they're looking for someone to blame. We live in a culture of that today, right? I mean, you just, I don't care what news outlet you have, right wing, left wing, middle wing, doesn't matter, that we're always looking as human beings. It's not an American thing. It's not a culture thing. It's a human being thing. It's a human heart thing. We always look for someone to blame. I mean, kids, it's just innate, like, right? Those of you that have little kids, I mean, they just, it's just natural. Like, they don't, did you do this? No, they did it. Like, really? I just saw you do it, okay? I mean, come on. And you can be 80 years old, and, and at times, did you do it? No, they did it. It's just a human heart thing. Instead of looking someone to say, man, we're in this bad situation. What can we do to get our family back? They speak of stoning him. Notice that their despair makes them worse off. Notice their despair makes them want to kill David. And just think about this logically. Let's say they would have killed him. Where, where would they be? They would be worse off because now they've killed their leader. They've killed their king. They've killed their military strategist, the one that God had blessed. And now they're, But do they have their wives and their kids and their property back? No. They're worse off. When you give in to despair or you give in to your emotions, I promise you, you will always be worse off every single time. I'm not saying that we need to ignore our emotions and stuff them down and pretend they don't exist. I am not saying that. No, God gave us emotions. Emotions are fine. However, you should always filter your emotions high and low and everything in between through, the, through prayer. And I believe God's word. God, I'm feeling really discouraged right now about this situation. God, I need to strengthen myself in you. Oh, man, God, this is great. This is wonderful. And, and oh, God, help me not to get too prideful. Always filter whatever emotion you have through prayer, through what God is wanting to do in your life. It's interesting that from friends to enemies. Now David doesn't just have the enemies of, of the Amalekites. He has the enemies of his 600 men. That he didn't recruit them. They chose to follow him. The people that were supposed to have his back are now stabbing him in the back. Have you ever had that happen to you? I mean, okay, you lift up my shirt. I've got some scars on my back, metaf metaphorically speaking. People that I thought, we'll never, oh, you're great, we love you, you're one, we'll never. They stab you in the back. And we all have that. What do you do? 
what do you do when you're trying to honor God and you're trying to honor God in your marriage and raising your kids and, and, and with ethics and integrity and holiness and righteousness and prayer, everything in your life, and yet life is still crumbling all around you. The people that you thought would, maybe even it's other Christians, unfortunately, you thought would support you and help you and be with you are now stabbing you in the back. You're all alone. David had no one else there. Hey, wait a minute. I'm going to stand up on David's behalf. He's a good dude. We like David. He's our king. He killed Goliath. He's a good guy. No. All alone. You ever feel like that? Like you're, 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 I mean, everybody you were counting on, you thought, man, if life really gets messed up, I can count on this person, I can count on this relationship, and yet when it really gets down to it, they're the ones stabbing you in the back. And now more than your friend stabbing you in the back, you're all alone. That's exactly where David is. What's remarkable to me, and I love, I love the end of verse 6, because it talks about that they speak of stoning him, But what does David do? He speaks to God in prayer. Think about this. What is stoning? It's death. They, in other words, it could read like this. They are speaking of death out of their mouth. But David is speaking to God. God, as we know in the Bible, is the author and giver of life. In other words, they speak of death, but David is speaking life. The question is, in your life, when it's prayer or despair, when you give in to despair, the, the, the thing that comes out of your mouth is death all the time. Our marriage will never recover. Financially, we'll never make it up. My kids are always going to be this way. And when you begin to speak death in this situation, instead, you've given in to despair. Instead, give in to prayer and say, man, I don't know how, God, you're going to get us out of this, but I know you are a life-giving God, and you give life and not take it away, and I want to speak life into this situation because you are a life-giving God. That's what we have to learn to do, prayer or despair. Listen, what this really teaches us is what very often, and I would say always, but I'll be careful, but very often starts off in your mind, will come to your mouth and end up in your hand, good or bad. I mean, this is proof of it. They didn't just randomly, like robots, let's kill David. They, they are grieving. They're hoarse. It said they could cry until they could cry no more. They're hoarse. They can't even talk anymore. Their throat is hurting. Their eyes, the, the tear ducts are dried up, and, and tears have, have come down their face, and it's still dry, and some of it may be still wet, and they're crying. And they're in this situation. David is in the same boat. He's lost his wives too. And yet, they begin to think, it's your fault. And if we weren't following you, we wouldn't be in this situation. You ever everybody tell you that? I've had to tell me that. I've said it to myself, to be honest. Maybe you said it to yourself. It's your fault. And we begin to think, and if I, and if I could just, and you, and we're going to, you begin to think those things. And then you begin to speak death. So somebody in the group, they didn't all just say, yeah, let's all kill David. They were thinking it first. You've got to win the battle in your mind first. They were losing the battle in the mind first. The enemy put the the thought in their head, let's kill him. And then it goes from the, the brain to the mouth, and they begin to speak of death. You gotta watch what's going on in your brain and in your mind because you'll begin to speak death over situations in your life, over your kids or over your finances, over your life, whatever it is. But David speaks life. They, what very often starts off in the head, ends up in the hands. They didn't just like robots pick up a rock. What's this doing here? Man, I never imagined picking up a rock and killing David. No, they were thinking about it. 
And before long, they've lost control. And what started in their mind is now in their hand. But notice David's the opposite. David, it says, strengthened himself in God and says, bring me the ephod, which was a, a, a way that they would use to pray. And so, in other words, David is saying, hey, look, I know you guys have your hands like this, clenching the rock, but my hands are like this, open in prayer and worship, seeking my God and how he's going to deliver me and how he's going to rescue me. What starts off in your head will end up in your hands. Listen. There is no room for despair when your mouth is full of prayer. I should have titled the message that today. We'll get T-shirts and bracelets that say it. But, but it's true. There's no room for death in your mouth. There's no room for death in your mind. There's no room for despair in the situation when your mouth is full of prayer, when your mind is full of worship, and your heart is overflowing with praise of God's goodness, even when everything around you is not good. And we sang that earlier. When everything is going under, you won't fail. That's what we mean. That's what David did. That's what God wants us to do. When we're in these situations, these code red crisis, no room for despair when your mouth is full of prayer. Listen, David understood. He, he was so smart, even in his late 20s, very intelligent spiritually. David understood what 600 grown men didn't, that my battle, and the New Testament will tell us this, my battle, guys, is not against you. I know you've got the rock. I know you want to kill me. But my real battle isn't against you. It's against principalities of darkness that I can't see. And so the real battle isn't against your spouse. It's not against your kids. It's not against your boss or your employees. Your real battle is a spiritual warfare that you can't see. And the only way to win that battle is what David did, pray. Prayer. That's why praying as a follower of Jesus, it's, it's similar to lifting weights. You know, you lift weights. That way when you need to open the pickle jar at home, you don't have to strain and get a hernia. You can open it easily because you've been practicing for weeks and for months. That's why it's so important that you pray on a daily basis, not just on the weekends, on Sundays. Because when the crisis comes, you've been exercising that spiritual muscle of prayer. And that prayer becomes your second nature. You don't have to think, man, I should call my small group to pray. Yeah, you should do that. I should call the pastor to pray. Absolutely. But because you've made a habit in your own life of praying, it's just natural to you. David didn't think, well, I guess I should pray about it. What should I do? No, it was just natural. He strengthened it. He didn't ask anybody, what should I do? He just natural. Strengthened himself in prayer. Here's the next thing I think is of why it matters. Because you got to understand a stone isn't strength. Verse 6, again, David now was in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters. Quick pause. I know we've been serious, but notice it doesn't say in losing their wives. I don't know what was going on in 600 men's home, but they were more concerned about losing their sons and daughters than their wives. I don't know. That's a marriage counseling message right there. All right. So they were sons and daughters, and they began to talk of stoning him, period. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Understand this, your source of strength can limit or unlimit you. 
their source of strength was an inanimate rock. It had no real strength whatsoever. It could hurt David, but that was it. It would actually leave them worse off. Your source of strength can limit your ability to get out of the crisis, or it can unlimit you. David, understand, my strength isn't the rock. My strength is in God and prayer. And I believe that God is an unlimited God of strength and knowledge and wisdom and favor and power. And if I can connect with an unlimited God, that means that my strength is really his strength. And therefore, I have unlimited strength as well. The New Testament echoes this in 2 Corinthians. A guy named Paul writes and says this. When he was facing some, some challenges in his life, he said, I prayed about it three times, and God gave me this answer, that my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And so then this guy Paul said, therefore, I will boast all the more in my weaknesses because through my weakness he is made strong and perfect. It's not my strength that I rely on. It's not my resource or my rock or my bank account or my wisdom or my social network. It is the strength, the unlimited strength of God of heaven that can get me out of the crisis. Your source of strength can limit or unlimit you. I love this. Quite clearly the picture that we see in verse 6 that they're holding on to rocks, but David is holding on to God. They're holding on to the rock, and they're white-knuckling that sucker. I mean, they are holding on to that rock, and they probably got their arms reared back ready to go. They're holding on to the rock. Maybe you're holding on to this person in that relationship that, that they can help me out. And if this person can come through, they'll rescue me. They'll make it better. If I can just get this promotion, if I can just get this thing in my life. And you're holding on to the inanimate object that thinking that will rescue you. That will make you better. But it can't because you're holding on to a rock that has no strength. Instead, learn what David did and hold on to God through prayer and through worship. That's the message, listen, the thing you're holding on to isn't strong enough. That person that you put your hope in, they're not really strong enough to see you through. That career, that, that finance, whatever it is, it's really not strong enough. You think it is. The enemy wants you to think it is, but it's not. Because very often it happens, and you get what you've been holding on to, and you realize, I'm worse off than before. It's not strong enough. Only God is. I believe God is telling some of us today in this room, you've been holding on to your rock too long. you got to let it go. You've been holding on to that for too long. That hurt or that anger, those hopes, those dreams, your, your financial planning, all those are good things. But God is saying it can't give you the strength that you really need. Only I can. And you can't hold on to me and your rock in the same hand. It's time for some of you today, Pathway, on October 2nd, 2022, to let go of the rock that you've been holding so that you can release that white knuckle so you can have an open hand of prayer and worship. Notice that, again, they're both holding on to something. David's holding on to something. They're holding on to something. But notice how radically different it really looks. They're holding on to the rock and gritting their teeth, with, and their, their knuckles are turning white, and, and they're just holding on to it with your life. They're gripping it. Their hand is closed. Their fist is closed. But David is holding on to God with an open hand 
of worship. You see, a couple of things. That's why when we, if, if you're new, again, welcome to Pathway. We're a church for unchurched people. But you, a while ago, you've probably seen some of us raising our hands, singing songs. You're like, that's really weird. I went to a concert, and they don't do that. They do lighters, but they don't do this. What's up? That's weird. And, and it is weird. But what we learn as followers of Jesus, we see this in the Bible all the time, is we raise our hands in worship. And it means a couple of things. But one of the main things that it means is surrender. That's what David is doing. God I surrender. I don't know. I got, I got 600 guys trying to kill me right now. My wives are gone. My, my family's gone. All my belongings are gone. My house is burned to the ground. I don't know what to do, but I surrender to you. God, help me. Give me what God, notice what he said. What should I do? Do you want me to move forward or not? Surrender. Some of you, you can't do both. You're gripping it with one hand and trying to worship with the other, and God says, let go. So you can hold on to me. Listen, when you're holding on like this, you know what it says? I'm in control. I'm in control of my future. I'm in control of the situation. And we love as human beings to be in control. We love it. Type A, type B, it doesn't matter. Or whatever culture, we love to be in control. Especially Americans. And God is saying, no, when you're in control, that means I'm not. You didn't create yourself. I created you. Let go. When you surrender, it means I'm no longer in control, Father. You are. God, you are the one in complete control. Surrender. Worship looks different. Listen, I love this, and, and it doesn't say this, so anytime the Bible doesn't explicitly say something, we need to be a little careful. So don't tell me I'm being sacrilegious and I'm, I'm, I'm giving you a fair warning. But it doesn't say this, but I almost, I see it in my mind, and it's my mind so I can kind of see it how I want, to be honest with you. But So I, I see that he's got 600 men, warriors, elite warriors, and then there's David. And he's the leader, and so he's facing the 600 guys, and they all have the rocks, and they're still crying. They can barely speak because they're hoarse, and their throat is hurting, and, and then they got the rocks, and they're ready to throw it. And I, I just see David in my mind seeing that, facing that, and turning his back to the crisis so that he can turn his face to God in prayer. Sometimes you need to learn to turn your back to all 600 distractions, all 600 things of FOMO, and, and I got to struggle to keep up, and my kids got to do this, and we got to do this, and we got to go there, and I got to make this. And you got to turn your back to the 600 things that really don't matter in your life so you can turn your face to the one and only thing that can rescue you and save you and really does matter. Turn your back in despair so you can turn your face to God in prayer. Listen, I've had to do that at different times in my life. I wouldn't do it in front of people. I'm just too nice. But, but, but there's times where you hear the voices of, of even well-meaning Christians. Well, I think you should do this. Well, I think you should do that. Well, I think you should do oh, I didn't ask you. <laughs> but uh, if I were you, I would do this. And if you don't do this, it's going to be a disaster. And there are times where I have to turn my back to all that distraction. Well-meaning people. Turn my back to the despair so I can turn my face to my Father in prayer and say, Lord, they're not in charge. I'm not in charge. You are. What do you want me to do? How do you want me to handle this? What's the direction that you want me to take? And that's what I'll do. Because, God, I'm not holding on to anything or anyone. Instead, I've surrendered to you. Guide me. 
give me wisdom and favor. That's what it looks like. I love this. The, the big takeaway is understand prayer restores. I love that it doesn't just end there. you got to realize that, that it's prayer or despair. The thing that you're holding on to, that stone, really isn't strength. But prayer is the only thing that can restore. And I love this. Look how it ends. This is so great. Verse 18. David got back everything the Amalekites had taken. And he rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, small or great, son or daughter, nor anything else that had been taken. David brought back everything. Notice that it says three times in two sentences, David got back everything the enemy stole. You know what that tells? God is a God of restoration. Whatever the enemy has stolen from you, your joy, your peace, your hope, your future, God will restore it when you turn to him in prayer. He is a God that does not let the enemy win. Jesus conquered that on the cross. He is a God of victory and victory in your life. Whatever the enemy stolen, God will restore it to you through prayer. I love this, and we see this a lot in the Bible. If you, if you look, that notice how this begins. This is so cool. No, the Bible's just really cool. I like it. But notice the, the notice how, the, how it begins. The Amalekites, the bad guys, they're winning. David loses. But notice how it ends, verse 18, 19. The Amalekites have been defeated, and David and his men are victorious. You may be like David in the beginning right now. You may be, I feel defeated, Brian. I don't know that I'm going to make it anymore. If I can make it to Christmas, it'll be a miracle. I don't know what's going to happen, and I'm so discouraged, and I can relate to David because I've cried out to God in prayer so much that I don't know how to pray anymore. I don't have any tears left to shed. I don't know what to do, but I want to encourage you today that God brought you here on this day to hear his word for you, that God will restore what the enemy stolen. It may look like the enemy is victorious today, but when you seek God in prayer, it won't be very long until God will make you victorious over the enemy in your life. That's what happens here. I love that. The men, to sum all this up, were controlled by the crisis, but David controlled the crisis through prayer. You can be controlled by the chaos around you. You can be controlled by the despair. You can be controlled by the what if. What if it happened? Well, what if it doesn't happen? Oh, then it would be worse. You can be controlled by all those things. And you can let the chaos, the despair, the crisis control you. Or you can be like David. I mean, think about how remarkable. One out of 600 got it right. I mean, I don't want to be in that testing category. I mean, that's just incredible. And, and how did he get it right? Because he said, I'm going to control this crisis through prayer. I can't control it. Only God can. But the only way God will is through prayer. And I, my, my strength is limited, but he's an unlimited God. That means he has unlimited strength, and I'm going to seek him in prayer. I don't know the crisis that you're facing, 
And I think we all have different levels of crisis in our life. I don't know the crisis that you're facing, but I just want to encourage you. God wants to encourage you with his word today to say, hey, look, you can stop letting that crisis control your faith. Stop letting the crisis dictate your level of faith and trust in me. Instead, look to me and I will control the crisis for you. May not do it the way you think or how you think, but I will control it in my time and my way, which is better than your way. Turn to me, and I'll control it for you. What's amazing, we'll leave with this, is David's great, 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 great grandson was Jesus. And the interesting thing that they have a lot of similarities in their lives, some differences, but a lot of similarities. Both were great kings, although Jesus never physically wore a crown. He's wearing a crown right now, and he will wear a crown for eternity. That's another message. But David was king. But what's interesting is here it says David's men spoke of stoning him, of killing him. Jesus, people around him, when he was dying on the cross, they didn't speak of killing him. They actually killed him. What's interesting as well, not only do they have that in common, but David, it says in the beginning, lost everything. And he didn't willingly choose to lose it. It was stolen from him. He lost it. But in the end, he got it back. Know this, that with Jesus, he willingly chose to give it all up. He willingly chose to leave the beauty and the power of heaven to come and walk on earth to be like us, to have a relationship with us. David had everything stolen. Jesus surrendered everything. David got everything back. When Jesus on Easter Sunday burst through that tomb, it's not like what you see in the movies where he just kind of, I don't think, I think he busts that sucker wide open like jailbreak. I'm out, y'all. Let's get it going. Like that's what I see happening. It may not happen that way. That's what I think, a decent version. Okay? But he, he busted it. Jesus got it all back. You know what he got back? So when I say Jesus got it all back, you know what I mean? David got his stuff back. Jesus got you. You're more valuable to him than stuff. He loves you more than stuff. When Jesus got it, you're the it. He got you back through death and resurrection on the cross. That's why he did it. He willingly gave it all up for you. For a relationship with you. Not so you can know religion, but a relationship with him that will leave you changed. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for the truth of your word today. We pray this would not fall on deaf ears, but it would fall into fertile hearts that would be planted, that would grow, that would mold and shape us in your image, change us. The Father, above all, we would see you today. We thank you for this example this real example that really happened and what it teaches for us today 3,000 years later because it applies just as much for us. And ultimately, we thank you, Jesus, that you're similar to David, but you willingly gave everything up. They didn't speak of killing you. They did kill you. But you are alive today and resurrected. And the treasure that you won is us. Thank you for the value that you see in us.